So he came off the top rope <laughs> right after this. As Axie's on the mat, Blockchain Brawlers comes off the top rope, drops an elbow on him. Boom. So, yeah, insult injury there. So tough, tough week for, for Axie. And a lot of people uh, lost a lot of money. We'll see what happens. Bogdan, Brian, and their guests are not registered investment advisors. Nothing discussed today should be relied on for investment decisions, nor is it investment advice. This show is for informational and entertainment purposes only. Please work directly with an investment professional. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Crypto Safari podcast, where we swing through the crypto canopy, meeting other degen apes, and sharing some juicy DeFi dragon fruit with you, our dear listeners. My name is Bogdan, and as always here, I have Brian. How's it going, Bri? It's going good, Bogdan. Good to see you back from across the pond, as it were. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it feels good to be back. For those that aren't aware, we took a little break because I was over in London town. Foggy London town. Yeah, it was foggy, but it was very pleasant. Yeah, I bet. Um, Always wanted to go. Can't wait. All right. Should we jump into a little bit of news this week? Uh, There's quite a few things that are going on. There's a lot going on. So um, I hope we we have some of the same stories that we're looking at because that would be interesting. Well, let's find out. So the first story that I have, which I found really eye-opening, interesting, is that Robinhood is adding a few coins. Uh, Yes, I heard. And one of your favorites. One of my favorites, Solana. Solana is being added to Robinhood, as well as Polygon. And one of your favorites, Shiba Inu. Yes. And Compound are all being added to Robinhood. I was reading that as well. I mean, as you know, last year, uh, one of the big Shiba Inu pumps came on the rumor of a Robinhood listing. And it was one of these things where people, uh, you know, were, were buying the rumor, selling the news type deal. And so it, did, it didn't happen. It was rumors, it was rumors, and a lot of hype happened around it. And then when it didn't get listed, when Robinhood finally came out and gave their official statement saying they have no plans to list it anytime soon, the price of the coin went down quite a bit and hasn't really recovered to that all-time high. And so my question is, is is the Robin Hood effect actually something that is a catalyst these days? I looked at Solana after that news and I didn't see a big pump. Obviously, we are in a bull market right now. Things are a little bit down even this week. But what do you think? Do you think the Robin Hood effect is real? I think the Robin Hood effect is real. I think right now we are just in such a kind of scared market because of the stuff going on in Ukraine, Russia, sanctions, gas prices going up. I just think that people aren't in that space of when they hear something exciting, they they don't necessarily jump on it, kind of like we were jumping on things last year. And I think that's simply because the fear outweighs the opportunity. Yeah, especially for risky assets. People are looking for safety right now. uh, And there's a lot of uncertainty about the markets, especially with crypto. I mean, it's been up, it's been down, it's been up, you know, it's been pretty crazy the last few months. And so, so, so you're saying it's yet to be seen what this effect will have on these coins. Yeah, I don't think it's going to pump up the coins as dramatically as it would have last year. I think it, it'll still bump them up, but I'm excited for this because in the future, once the economy and everything stabilizes and recovers, it'll be great that people will be able to purchase these on Robinhood, which is a lot of people's preferred platform. And I agree. But one of the things I was thinking just now is that a lot of people left Robinhood because they weren't offering enough cryptocurrencies and and tokens on their site. And so people went to other places like Coinbase, uh, Binance USA, Webull, all these other ones. And so maybe, I mean, yes, it's still giving access to these uh, projects to millions of people, but yeah, I don't know. I think they might have, I wouldn't say missed their boat, but they missed an opportunity to really take advantage of a bull market when people were really interested in crypto. I agree. I agree there. We shall see. Yep, we uh, next bit of news here. And I thought this was really 
strange. I tried to research it a little bit more to understand it, but have you heard about how Terra and the Luna Foundation recently bought $200 million in Avalanche? No, I didn't hear about that. So this is kind of strange. So Terra, which is, uh, you know, um, a really big organization, uh, they bought $200 million in Avalanche in order to boost UST in terms of stability and adoption. So UST is a stable coin. And the reason that they did this is because when they bought the Avalanche using UST, all of a sudden now the Avalanche platform has UST in it and it creates more liquidity. So there's now $100 million worth of Luna liquidity and Terra liquidity in Avalanche. Okay, so they already had some of the Terra in Avalanche, and by adding the USD, it basically made the overall platform more stable for staking? UST. UST, yeah, UST excuse me, UST. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the idea here is by them buying Avalanche, they're essentially trading. Picture this, like they are trading their UST in exchange for Avalanche, AVAX, which means that all of a sudden now there's more UST in the Avalanche platform, creating more liquidity, allowing mm -hmm. it to be used for all sorts of purposes. So I don't fully understand how it works, but I thought that that was a interesting kind of first rendition of this happening. And I'm wondering if other cryptocurrencies will, will also do something similar where they decide to buy another cryptocurrency's token in exchange for theirs to kind of boost both tokens value. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I like to read more about that because that is definitely something new we haven't really seen before. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's I'll it. keep an eye on it. I'll, I'll keep an eye on it and I'll try and report back uh, once I learn a little bit more about it. But yeah, yeah, we should follow up on that in, in, yeah. in one of our future shows. Yeah. And then yeah. I have one more piece of news for you this uh, week, Brian. Lawsuits over monkeys. <laughs> Lawsuits over monkeys. Does that mean anything to you? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, there hasn't been like a huge lawsuit, a lawsuit involving monkeys since, um, I think since the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> you know, uh, it's been a long time. So yeah, tell me about this one. Yeah. So in this lawsuit over monkeys, OpenSea is actually facing three lawsuits over stolen board apes. So people who had their board apes stolen because of kind of flaws in OpenSea's code are mm -hmm. now suing them for millions of dollars. And the lawyers who are commenting on this are saying that this might set a precedent that could potentially hurt or even bring down OpenSea because mm. if they can prove that OpenSea was negligent with its code and mm -hmm. wasn't securing people's assets, then they can essentially prove that when, when this hack happened, when this hack happened and people mm -hmm. had all the, these NFTs stolen, that OpenSea is liable for that. So this could be huge in terms of that platform. Yeah. I mean, you know, once you set that precedence, it opens the floodgates for anybody who was victim of, I, you know, copyright infringement, NFT theft. I mean, there's been a lot of stories about some of the stuff happening on OpenSea, you know, whether yeah. it be, you know, like that one story about uh, people changing prices and buying stuff and hacking. And there's all sorts of, uh, you know, co uh, bootleg NFTs out there that people are creating look like another NFT. There's just been a lot of shady stuff. And so once you do open that up to this type of litigation, everybody is going to want a little piece of it. And yeah. just being in court and having to pay for all these costs is going to be really, really uh, huge for them. Yeah. I'm wondering, I'm trying to look at the silver lining in this. And I'm wondering, will this be, will this hurt OpenSea? But if they can weather the storm, will this mean that they actually come out as a more secure platform? Because this will force them to be so much more diligent as a platform in terms of securing things. That's kind of the silver lining I'm looking for. But I don't know if I'm being too optimistic. It's, 
obviously yet to be seen, but I think at this point, I mean, there's a lot of other NFT trading platforms that are being launched right now. And the, the, the horse might be out of the barn by this point. You know, if people feel more safe and secure using another platform, then who's to say that they won't just give up on it altogether. Yeah. yeah but, yeah. Uh, you know, maybe people will stay in just for some of that sweet, sweet lawsuit money. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I hope that someone steals my NFT so yeah. I can get that lawsuit money. Right, exactly. There'll be a whole breed of NFT ambulance chasers on OpenSea, you know, <laughs> waiting to get a sweet it. payout. Yeah, that, that's crazy. Um, Love it. That's the news I have. What, what do you have for us today? Yeah, well, you know, speaking of, well, malfeasance, did you hear about the Axie Infinity hack? I did not. Yeah, in late March, uh, Axie Infinity was hacked through their Ronin blockchain for the tune of around $600 million. Oh, God. Oh yeah. God. It was a big one. That's a lot of Axies. A lot of Axies. And they, they took ETH. And they took, um, I think they took some Axie money, but it was mostly ETH. Mm, okay. Maybe so, another one. I, I, I'm not sure exactly what it was, but it was mostly ETH and maybe some some stable coin too. So what happened was, uh, hackers gained access to the private keys for the validator nodes, and they were able to compromise five validator nodes, which is the threshold required to approve transactions. Ooh, that's no good. Yeah. So there's nine nodes all together. Yep. If you can access five. You have enough control to approve transactions. And so what happened is uh, a while back, the Axie Infinity DAO gave its access to Sky Mavis, the creator, the company behind Axie, to sign off on transactions on its behalf. And so those keys were passed off. But the access was never revoked, and hackers used that as a backdoor into their blockchain. Interesting. That is, yeah. We we talked a, a little bit about this. How it's important to know how many validators are on a blockchain mm -hmm. because it does contribute to security. Yeah, I mean, it's that's kind of crazy. They only had nine validator nodes on a blockchain that size. Yeah, that's super high risk. It's pretty pretty low. Uh, but even more interesting. So the hack was only discovered after the people who stole the money used it to short Axie Infinity, thinking that when the news of the hack came out, it would crash the price of the Axie token and they'd be able to clean up. Oh, the only problem was no one even noticed and the news didn't come out until after their position was liquidated by the exchange they were on. Oh, God. Okay. So did, yeah. that, did they lose a bunch of money because of that? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how much, but they lost their whole position, whatever position they had. Uh, they didn't meet the margin by the time it, the deadline ran out. And so it liquidated their position. I still don't find information on exactly how much they lost. I don't know if it was all of it, but I think they lost a lot. That's funny. So let me explain this real quick yeah. uh, in layman's terms. When you short a stock or a token or whatever it is, it means that you're saying, I think that this will go down in price. And if it goes down in price, you get paid uh, for it going down in that price. But you have to set a time limit. You can't yeah. say, I believe this will go down in price someday. You have to say, within the next week, this will go down to this price. And if your prediction is true, then you make money off that. But if it doesn't go down by that timeline you set, then you essentially lose the uh, money that you put into it. Yeah, and that's what happened to these guys because the news the news came out too late. No, <laughs> no one knew about the hack until... They should have just published it on Twitter. They should have been like, hey, yeah. guys, Axie Infinity has been hacked. Anonymous tip. Yeah. <laughs> Sell now. Yeah, so that's pretty crazy. I mean, we talked about Axie Infinity at the beginning of the year. You know, they were having some problems. They tried to reshape their economy, their, their game to deal with some of these issues. And then now you have this. And so Axie Infinity, well, you know, they're, they're kind of in trouble right now. And yeah. they were flying high for a long time last year. I also read they got $150 million investment from Anderson, Andreessen Horowitz, the investment Ooh. fund. And they're huge. So they put some money into it. Now this is happening. And on top of that, to add in, injury to insult, uh, a new game called Blockchain Brawlers, which is like a wrestling NFT game that made $357 million in their first week, uh, the founder came out and basically said that we are more secure than Axie Infinity. Yeah, 
So he came off the top rope <laughs> right after this. As Axie's on the mat, blockchain brawlers comes off the top rope, drops an elbow on him. Boom. So, yeah, insult to injury there. So tough, tough week for, for Axie. And a lot of people lost a lot of money. They're, they've already raised, I think, $150 million to try to pay investors back and, and token holders. So we'll see what happens. Um, so not, not cool for them. Uh, let's see here. And I was reading about an ex-Ethereum developer, a guy named Virgil Griffith, who was sentenced to five years in a North Korean sanctions case. Wait, what? Yeah. Explain. Okay. So this guy, uh, Virgil Griffin, Griffith, he was found guilty of violating U.S. sanction laws against North Korea because he went to North Korea, Pyongyang, and he did a conference on how their government could sidestep sanctions by using cryptocurrency. Interesting. And because of that, he was arrested and jailed for violating sanctions laws. And uh, he, his defense tried to say that he was psychologically unstable, but that defense was thrown out and he was given five years. In U.S. prison? Yes. Okay, okay. He's not in North Korea, you know? <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, he, he, violated, he violated U.S. sanctions laws, so he's, he was tried in, in the U.S. Wow. Okay. So top tip, everybody, do not go to North Korea and hold any workshops on crypto. Just don't go there for anything these days. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what would, I, it's, honestly, I think he might have to be a little bit crazy to go to North Korea, but hey, uh, let's see what else we got here. So uh, do you remember a while back, someone bought Jack Dorsey's first tweet? Yes. It was created, it, it turned into an NFT, they turned it into an NFT. So uh the guy bought it for 2.9 million last year. Okay. Name was uh, Sina Estavi. He's an Iranian guy, apparently. Uh, he was actually put in jail. He had two crypto uh, ventures that basically failed, folded. He was charged with disrupting the economy. And apparently that's a, that's a, that's a, no, that's illegal. It's, it's, in, it's illegal in Iran. Uh, okay. And so he's arrested in Iran, spent nine months in jail. But yeah, so he was arrested for disrupting the economy. So anyway, so he just got out of jail and he was trying to sell his NFT for $48 million in an auction. Guess how much the highest bid was? $1 million. A little bit lower. The highest bid he got out of the total of seven offers was $277. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I mean, that's, it could just be that the right buyers weren't at that auction, you know? I, I don't think any buyers were at that auction. I think a, a couple of people just raised their hand because like, maybe I can get it for 300 bucks. Yeah, so he had it uh, on an auction. By the time it ran out, he had seven offers ranging from $277 to $6. Interesting. I would have given them $278 and I'd be the highest bidder. Ooh, man. I mean, can you imagine that paying $2.9 million for something? And then getting an offer for 300 bucks like a year later. I'm used to it because when I buy my NFTs on OpenSea, I buy them for, you know, whatever it is, 400 bucks and people will offer me like 50 bucks for it. So I, I, I sympathize with you know his pain. Yeah. Uh, I'm laughing at the guy. I mean, at first, like when I heard about him buying that NFT, I was like, that is dumb. You know, like, okay, whatever. Like, piece it, of history, Brian. It's a piece of history. Yeah. Well, sounds like it's a piece of, uh, <laughs> We won't get into it, but anyway, so that, that that's the news for you. Don't buy NFT tweets. If you do, you might lose some money. Yes. And, and that's, all for you. that's all I got for today. Love it. Love it. All right. Let's jump into listener questions next. We have a couple of doozies this week. So thank you guys for sending these in. Our first listener question is from Carly. She would like to know, What's the NFT or crypto you passed on and then regretted it because it mooned? <laughs> oh, man, that's a good one. Um, well, I definitely don't regret buying the uh, Jack Dorsey tweet at this moment. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. You know, it, it's I've, I've missed so many opportunities in my life. It's hard to think about just one. Is there one that uh, was kind of unique or that you still kick yourself about? I mean, obviously Bitcoin, but I mean, who, who doesn't regret that? Did you know about, so this is one of my questions. Yeah. Did you know about Bitcoin, say in like 2015 and you were like, nah, not going to buy any? 
I mean, I heard about it, but it wasn't like it didn't even cross my mind. Yeah. You know, it, I didn't I didn't think like, oh, I wonder where I could get some of that from. You know what I mean? It just didn't even didn't even register. I was like, that's interesting, and then just moved on. You know, so yeah, I. I'll tell you what I do regret. When I first got into crypto, I, I, I bought a bunch of stuff, a bunch of tokens, a bunch of projects. And the first big dip, I, I sold everything out of like fear because I didn't know like what I was doing. And so I definitely regret that. Mm. What did you sell? Were there any uh, yeah, I sold some Ethereum. Ah. I sold, I think I had some Cardano. I, I, I put money in the top five cryptos. On, on like and coinbase or whatever coin market watch was and and, and as soon as it went down like 15 percent, i was like ah get me out of here uh, you know and this is like a, the first uh the first dip like maybe two years ago maybe the first dip but a big dip like two years ago yeah yeah crypto yeah. winter yeah yeah so I, I i dumped everything at that point and yeah lost some money i definitely regret that yeah yeah that that's wow. a good one that's a yeah, good what one. about you what, what you got for me, the big miss that I've had is actually in the NFT space. Mm. So I tend to buy NFTs that are on the cheaper side from people who aren't very well known. And there were two instances where these were influencers who I've followed for like years, sometimes decades. Oh, and wow. so I know the person who's putting this out and I know that they do quality work. Like I've witnessed it year after year. But both of the projects that they put out were expensive. And so I was like, oh, I'm not going to jump on this, you know, like too, too rich for my blood. The first one and the one that really sticks out is by Kevin Rose. Oh, yeah. Does the Proof podcast, does Modern Finance podcast. Mm -hmm. And he was coming out with his Proof Collective NFT. And it was a Dutch auction starting at 2.5 ETH. And I was like, oh, way too expensive. I can't do that. So I just ignored it. Apparently, it went down to one ETH was the, the lowest price that people bought it for. And I don't, even now in hindsight, I don't think I would have dropped, you know, $3,000 on one NFT. But the reason I regret it is, do you know what the price of a proof collective NFT is now? The cheapest you can get one for? <sighs> oh, man. Did it, did it 20x? 91 ETH. Oh, Jesus. Can you imagine if I had just, you know, been like, I know this person does quality work. I believe in oh, it. Man. I'm going to throw $3,000 at this. Right now, I could sell it for $287,000. And this isn't a long time ago. This He literally came out with this, I don't know, six months ago or something. I'm like, wow. oh, it kills me. It kills me. So... Yeah, the one that got away. That's that's a really big wow. one that got away. Yeah, that's a big one, man. Yeah, but hey, you know. should have done it. Yeah. All right, our next question. Thank you, Carly. By the way, that yeah, was thanks, a, Carly. That was a very triggering question, I think, for both of us. Now we yeah. both need to uh, cry in the corner. I need a drink. <laughs> uh, next question here is from Safi. Uh, they would like to know: Do you stake your crypto to get interest? And if so, what's your preferred platform for doing so? Yes. Well, as we, as you know, and I've talked about before, I have yet to stake anything, but I'm not against it, but I just need, I need to learn more before I feel comfortable. So I'm, I'm still, I'm still studying and, and kind of learning about that process and these, because there's just a lot of opportunities out there. And I've heard some stories about people staking and then price drops, they can't get their money out and people jumping from project to project, whales manipulating it just seems like a little bit even more volatile in some ways and a little more risky than an already risky market. So for me, I'm still waiting, but well, actually, well, we'll talk about this later. Anyway, what about you? So I think it's important to differentiate. There's a, when someone says staking, which is essentially to define it for the listeners, staking is when you take your crypto and you put it into a platform and there's different rules for like, you can't pull it out for a day. You can't pull it out for six months. You can't pull it out for two years. There's different timelines. So there's different types of staking and it's important to differentiate between the different kinds. So there are certain ones that are super strict, like 
if you want to stake your Ethereum into Ethereum 2.0, which is like their big upgrade, that has been delayed for like two years, meaning you can't get your Ethereum back out for over two years, which is brutal. They give you interest. The reason that people stake is they give you interest. So they'll pay you, you know, 5% or whatever it is. So you're still increasing your value, but you're not allowed to move your, your crypto. There are other platforms that aren't as strict. So the one that I prefer to stake on is BlockFi. Mm -hmm. One reason I prefer to stake there is uh, it has really high insurance. So everything on the platform is insured. They follow lots of government regulations. They uh, have like a reserve of crypto in case your crypto gets stolen that they will reimburse you with. And my favorite part is it only takes five days, I believe, for you to unstake. So say I put my Ethereum in there and I decide, oh, I need some Ethereum to go buy this NFT. I only need to wait five days to unstake it. So that's my preferred platform. The other place that I stake is uh, I stake my sushi on Yearn Finance, as we discussed on that one podcast episode. Um, And the reason I stake my sushi is uh, it's not worth very much right now. So I decide, hey, let let me get some uh, interest on it. I'm getting about 20% interest. That's not bad. Yeah. So why not? You know, I think I'm going to stake this year. I, I like Blockify. BlockFi. BlockFi, excuse me. BlockFi, um, based on the conversations we've had about it. So, yeah, I, I think I'm going to pull the trigger. Yeah. For You say Ethan on, right now on there? Yeah. So, for BlockFi, um, the good ones to stake on there, ETH gives you, I believe it's 4 or 5% mm-hmm. uh, interest. The really good thing to do on BlockFi, and the, I recommend this strategy to most people, is stable coins. So USDG, UST, um, things that are pegged to the US dollar, they give you eight to 9% on. So if you just have a bunch of cash that you're sitting on and you don't know where you're going to deploy it yet, what I do is I stick it in BlockFi. I let it accrue interest while I'm waiting and trying to decide where to deploy it, what to do with it. Mm-hmm. And then once I'm ready, I just need five days to unstake it and then use it for whatever I need to use it for. Yeah, I mean, forget a savings account. Why not just put your your cash in there? That's what I do. I don't put any money in a a bank account savings. I uh, put it in BlockFi. Yeah, bank accounts are for uh, for boomers. (laughs) I'm not ageist. I believe anyone can be progressive. I agree, too. I just, uh, you know. You just like to take digs. All right. Thank you, Safi, for that question and Carly for the other question as well. If you guys want to get your crypto questions answered, remember that you can always write to us at questions at cryptosafari.us and we will answer your question on the next episode, possibly. All right. With that, let's jump into our two cryptocurrencies for this week, Brian. Before we jump into these, let's recap our the way we evaluate cryptocurrencies which is PTAC. So that stands for Purpose, Team, Advantage, Community. Uh, purpose, what problem does this cryptocurrency solve? Team, who are the founders? Who are the investors? Advantage, how does this cryptocurrency have a unique advantage over other ones? And then community, what's the community around uh, like for this cryptocurrency? And the last little plus T that Brian has added to this which I love now is tokenomics. What are the tokenomics like for this? So yeah, with that, Brian, would you like to go first this week? Sure. Why don't I kick it off? I think uh, yeah, it's been a while. I don't remember who went last, but uh, why don't I pull the trigger on my project of the week? Go for it. So this week I looked into something called Akala. Akala. AC. A-L-A. So Akala is, well, so basically the high level overview, Akala is an all-in-one decentralized finance network offering a blockchain platform secured by Polkadot, as well as a suite of cross-chain financial applications. So I always like to start by reading how they describe themselves. 
which is marketing speak, which I hate, and I'm yeah. already confused. So please, <laughs> layman's, layman's terms. Layman's, all right. So we talked about Polkadot uh, on, this, on this podcast. And so basically, Akala is a Polkadot parachain. And so with Polkadot, you can basically create your own customized blockchain on their network to do whatever you want, but also still get the security and validation from the Polkadot ecosystem. So instead of having to worry about security and validation, you can just focus on building out your blockchain for whatever specific purpose you want. Also, what you can do is you can crowdfund the amount of DOT, which is their token, and you need to buy a, a rent, or at least a blockchain. So you can raise money that way. So it's kind of cool that you can build a custom blockchain and then raise money through crowdfunding. So oh, it's a great, great way. Yeah, yeah, it's a great way for developers who just want to try out different things to be able to come on and create their own uh, blockchain really easy for whatever use case they want, whether it be DeFi or gaming, doesn't matter. And so uh, it's basically a smart contract platform that's optimized for DeFi applications. And so that's their main goal is just to create this parachain that's just focused on DeFi. What does that mean? What does it mean to be focused on DeFi applications? Well, right now for them, it just means that they're focusing on bringing developers who are into DeFi projects. And so what that means on a blockchain level, lower gas fees, less congestion, uh, development ease for basically creating these projects, but also allowing them to have resources specifically for those type of projects. And we'll get into that when we talk about the purpose a little bit more. Mm, okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty interesting. I actually like this one and I'm definitely uh, interested and quite curious about it. Uh, so basically it's a customized high performance platform built on the Polkadot parachain. So it's a Polkadot application layer. And they're offering a bunch of decentralized services to Polkadot, including a decentralized exchange, staking, uh, liquidity through uh, something called Liquid Dot or L Dot, and they're also adding a stable coin called A, lowercase A USD. Oh, okay. Which is kind of interesting because you brought up what uh, Terra Luna is doing with their stable coin, and I think that might tie into what they're trying to accomplish at the same time. And so, one of the things they're doing, and one of their purposes, is to increase DeFi adoption by lowering uh, gas fees. Because we all know that you know, if you're using an ETH-based blockchain, then you have a lot of these high gas fees. And so one of the things they're doing is they have something called bring your own gas, which allows, <laughs> uh, allows blockchain platforms to, per, to be on their chain and use any currency they want to pay for their gas fees. Oh, interesting, okay. Yeah, so no more ETH-dominated gas fees. You come on there, and what you can just you whatever you want whatever you want to pay, whatever uh, currency you want to use, you can pay for those gas fees. That's very cool. I like that. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty cool. They also have something that solves the basically the congestion problems called micro uh, gas fees. And basically, this is a weighted gas fee. So based on the complexity of what you're trying to do in terms of transaction, that's how they gauge the cost of your gas fee. Hmm. Okay. That's so instead good. of just like this one size fits all per transaction, they look at the transaction and determine by weight, it could be volume of the transaction and then uh, determine the gas fees based on that. I feel like I wish that Ethereum would do something like this because it seems so unfair that I have to pay such high gas fees for something as simple as like transferring an NFT, which is, you know, such a simple transaction compared to someone who's, you know, doing really complex calculations or transactions or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And that's, the, and that's their purpose is to solve those problems, uh, but also just make it easier for people to develop decentralized apps, uh, increase adoption, and just increase performance across the board. And also bring that DeFi layer to Polkadot. So they're bringing all these products that are just going to be a layer on top of Polkadot. So uh, they have a lot of different purposes, a lot of good use cases, all of which I think solve some important problems. And so I think their purpose looks good. So going into their advantage, uh, so basically they're positioning themselves as the DeFi hub on Polkadot. Basically one central place where everybody goes to invest in the Polkadot ecosystem. That's so that's cool. a great place to position yourself. Yeah, and I'm sure that Polkadot is very appreciative that 
they are doing that because it probably brings a lot more activity to their platform. Absolutely. So it's a, it's a very good symbiotic relationship between them. And so, you know, with the micro gas fees, they have an advantage because it's a fraction of the cost in other networks. So that's huge. Um, you know, also they've launched something called the $250 million AUSD ecosystem fund uh, to grow the Polkadot AUSD stablecoin. So what they're doing now is they're basically allowing people and trying to get investors to invest in the ecosystem by offering them a stable coin they can use to invest. So it's gonna be a lot more safe, a lot more secure. So one of the problems with staking is if you use the, the token that, you, that the project offers to stake, that can fluctuate, goes up and down. You can end up losing some money. So now they're moving to a system where people are gonna be investing uh, based on their stable coin, which is an over collateralized, collateralized uh, stable coin from, I think they're using a Kala and like Polkadot to, to back it. Mm, okay. So, yeah, go ahead. So people are essentially able to invest into it using a stable coin, meaning essentially US dollars. Yeah, exactly. And so I think it's a great and smart way to bring in like institutional money, uh, investors, excuse me, who want to take advantage of some of these gains, but don't want to take a lot of the risk on. Yeah. Smart. And so, yeah, really smart. I think a lot, I think you're going to see that, that happening a lot more for these type of projects. And I think it's a great idea because at the end of the day, you got to have that stability. You have to have that. Otherwise people aren't going to get involved. Mm -hmm. You got to drive adoption somehow. So that's one of the things they got going on and that's going to allow them to lock more total value into their ecosystem. So that's a big advantage. Uh, second advantage is they have wormhole bridge integration, that wormhole that was built by Solana. Ah, cool. Yep, so integrating with that, which allows people to send money back and forth um, through different blockchains, which is a really awesome feature. They're also working with a mid-level US bank to bring them into the blockchain world. So doing like some consulting with different banks. Uh, they've also signed a, a partnership with a FinTech company called Current. <laughs> and basically they're gonna be bringing their DeFi yield to their 3 million, 3 million customers. So they have some really cool partnerships with uh, FinTech, US banks, and uh, basically trying to get more people to get into the DeFi space through stability with their stablecoin. That's really big. I feel like, can you imagine if I log on to Wells Fargo and I'm just able through like the Wells Fargo portal, for example, to get 8% returns using crypto? Yeah. That would open this up to so many more people who don't necessarily want to get as nerdy as we do and research this stuff and find out about it. If, if that is the future we're headed towards, I think it could be huge for cryptocurrencies. Yeah, I mean, I, just, I think it's definitely the future we're heading for. I don't believe it's going to be through like a Wells Fargo, some of these legacy institutions. I think it's going to, well, maybe for some of these more, um, you know, progressive fintech companies that maybe said happening, but... I think, I, think the legacy, I think the legacy institutions will eventually get on board. Maybe not in two years, but in 10 years. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Eventually. But by then, it's going to be too late. By then, we're all washed up and we're, we're sitting on a beach somewhere. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be too late for them. I think they're going to miss the boat. But we'll see what happens. I hope they don't. So uh, let's go to their team. So I didn't really get a ton of information about their team. Um, it was, the, the project is founded by two Polkadot ecosystem teams. One was called Laminar, and another one is called Polka Wallet. Ah, Polka Polka. Polka Polka Polka, yeah. So these, so these two people, these two teams who already had projects on Polkadot founded this one. Uh, one of the founders, his name is Brian Chen. He's an engineer and a Polkadot ambassador. So they have a very, very close connection with Polkadot. And they also have a guy who's a chief growth officer, which I haven't really seen on a ton of crypto projects. Mm -hmm. so that's kind of cool. So they have, uh, they have some people who know the bulk of the Polkadot ecosystem and blockchain. And they got some people who are trying to uh, basically grow this project strategically. Mm -hmm. Nice. So as far as the team goes, yeah, you know, I'd like to learn a little bit more, but I couldn't find a ton of information but it, it seems like they know what they're doing. They've launched projects on Polkadot. So I'm going to say they seem trustworthy. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So now we're going into community. So as I mentioned, they have that $250 million AUSD ecosystem fund. And so what this also is going to do is going to allow people who uh, are interested in money markets or sorry, developers who are interested in money markets, decentralized exchanges, derivatives, 
asset management, DAOs, payments, and other AUSD-centered applications to receive funding from that source. Mm, okay. So they have all this money they raise. And if you're interested in any one of those categories, you can apply to help fund your projects. That's very cool. I, I feel like we're noticing this more and more is most of these cryptocurrencies have some type of like entrepreneurial funds that they mm -hmm. use to fund uh, entrepreneurs. Uh, yeah, well, you know, it's a, it's a really good idea. For one, it gets developers onto your blockchain and using your network, using your ecosystem. So it's a great way to kind of grow from the ground up, you know, grassroots style. But also it's a great way to, you know, give back. And also some of these funds, they, they raise money through other investors. And so I think it's a great way to just kind of keep building that cycle of investment, growth, investment, growth. And the more people you get, the more community, the bigger the project. Yeah. So uh, let's see what else we got for community. Uh, let's see. So they're trying to create a more open development system. Um, they're using something called Substrate on their platform as their programming language. A lot of people, a lot of developers don't want to use Solidity. And so they're using this other language that's basically can deal with any other type of programming language as long as it can, is compatible with WebAssembly. Mm. And I don't know too much about programming languages, but I guess this is a kind of a big one. So they're basically trying to make it easier for people to get in and use whatever language they want to code. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So, yep, so that's the community growing. And uh, let's get into tokenomics. Right now, it's ranked 119 on Coin Market Watch. Oh, you beat mine. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, mine's not. Mine's not even 119. Oh, tough, tough day for you, man. Oh, so mainstream, Brian. You're yeah. So mainstream. Well, you know, you gotta, you gotta go mainstream every once in a while. So yeah, it's, it's still, you know, it's in the top 150. Um, they've got a market cap of about 600 million dollars. So lots of room for growth there. Uh, the current price is $1.51, all-time high $3.10, all-time low $0.82. Current holders, not sure, but the max supply out there is 370 million tokens. Hmm. Okay. ACA. Would you say that that's, are those tokenomics good, bad? What's your take? Uh, you know, I think the tokenomics look pretty good. I don't expect this to blow up to like ETH level prices, but I think there could be some kind of medium type price increase. So maybe into, I don't like to make predictions, but yeah, I don't think for this play, you're looking for this to like moon and take over something like a, uh, like Ethereum or Polkadot for that matter, some of these bigger chains, but I think, you, I think it's undervalued. Mm-hmm based on, you know, the tokenomics and, you know, the total value locked in and some of the things they're doing. So I think it's a good investment. What will, will, will it do? I, I think it's going to make some money, but it's not going to be like a, a huge, you know, moonshot. Type yeah. But yeah, I think for, for getting some, some good gains, I think, it's, I think it looks good. Nice. And I yeah. love that it's also a, a parachain. So when we talked about Polkadot and when we talk a lot about all sorts of these cryptocurrencies, but I say, and this can be done and this can be done and it opens up this possibility. So I like that you went in and you're like, hey, here's one of those possibilities that is actually being done. You know, it's not speculative. Yeah, and I, we're seeing more and more of that these days. You know, more projects are actually like, they have a real use case, they have real investors, they're working with institutions outside of crypto. You know, some of the last ones we've talked about, you know, they got partnerships with real world institutions, businesses, they're, they're crossing that bridge from something that's kind of fringe a little bit. I mean, we're still about 6% adoption into uh, these mainstream markets and industries, which I think is pretty cool. And that's where we're going to start to really see this thing take off in terms of the overall crypto market. So yeah, I, I like this. I definitely think it's undervalued. I mean, right now it's trading at half the price of its all time high. And I think this could be, a, this could be a good one. Nice. I love yeah. it. Thank you cool. for bringing that. My pleasure. All right. Uh, I will jump yeah, into mine. And mine is related to something that you have both ranted to me about and <laughs> raved to me about. Uh, yeah, that's, that's just so many things. I <laughs> so, I it could be so many things. Yeah, yeah. You, no. you do rant and rave. I do. I got two speeds. I mean, the rant and the raving. So my token for this week that I wanted to cover is Sushi. 
Sushi is the native token of a thing called SushiSwap. So SushiSwap is a decentralized exchange. And what a decentralized exchange is, is basically think about Coinbase or FTX, one of these exchanges where you can buy and sell crypto. But the word decentralized means that it's not owned by a company, right? Like it uses smart contracts so that you can exchange your cryptocurrencies uh, for other cryptocurrencies without needing a central company to do that on your behalf. It's basically just a program running in the background that facilitates all these trades. Exactly. So uh, it, it mirrors a traditional exchange, but the way that it works and the reason it's called Sushi Swap is because you put your crypto into it and it swaps it for a different token. So these are what are called uh, liquidity pools. So mm -hmm. people can put $100 of Terra and $100 of ETH. And then I come along and I want to swap some of my Terra for ETH. I use those people's uh, Ethereum to do that swap. And as a result, I don't have to pay very high fees. Um, and I get my ETH that I wanted to uh, exchange for my Terra. I like it. I like the name. I love sushi. I'm yeah. so ready. Yeah. So uh, as you might imagine, people get fees for providing liquidity into this. So for locking their um, cryptocurrencies into it. And in addition to those fees, they also get the token Sushi. Mm. Sushi is the name of the token. Mm, I, I can see you're drooling, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> we shouldn't have done this before dinner time. Now, now we're both hungry for sushi. I'm going to get some. <laughs> Love it. So, so that is the purpose of Sushi Swap. But the reason I wanted to cover this is this is such a juicy story in terms of where Sushi Swap came from and where it's going and what has happened to it. So this is where we dive into the team. And this is where we, we begin the movie of Sushi Swap. <laughs> I love it. So you might know of a thing called Uniswap. I've used Uniswap. Yes. Yeah. Uniswap, the most popular decentralized exchange in the world. And the person who created SushiSwap essentially took Uniswap's code, copied it because it's open source, and that's how he started SushiSwap. Dang, I wish I'd have done that. Yeah. Now, the founders of SushiSwap and this is where I'm violating some of our rules of quality. They are not doxxed, meaning they have not revealed their real identities. Three founders. One's name is Chef Nami, N-O-M-I. The next person just goes by the name Sushi Swap. Like that's their, that's their pseudonym. And then the third one is O-X Maki. OX Maki. What is OX? I've seen OX before some other like internet pseudonyms or nums of plume. I've, I've, I'm not sure, but I think it's like in reference to, you know, like hashed numbers always have like zeros and X's in them. So I'm guessing it's like an homage to something like that. Mm. All yeah. right. So, so shadow organization. With it code. <laughs> not yes. Borrowed. Let's say borrowed. Exactly. So a shadow, I mean, so to be fair, they did not steal code. So Uniswap's code is open source, meaning they're opening it up so that anyone can look at it and do whatever they want with it. So essentially what they did was they copied the code because they weren't happy with how Uniswap was working. Uh, you kind of experienced this firsthand. Like how would you rate Uniswap in terms of UX and user experience? Oh man. Uh, yeah, it was, it was tough. <laughs> it's just a, well here's the thing is like you know for these decentralized exchanges there's not a lot of like help and support for these things zero there's not a lot of tutorials there's nothing like but no walkthroughs no onboarding you dive right in and it's just like all of a sudden holy smokes you got all this information and it's confusing like i, I i'm sure i've lost a lot of money on there just because i didn't know what i was doing i'm just like eh, you know mashing my palms on the on the on the, on the, the keyboard but yeah, not not not. I wasn't impressed, but that was the only way I knew at that time to get some of these tokens that weren't on major exchanges. And so I was like, I guess this is, I got to deal with it. I'm just gonna do it, you know. So not a good experience, but uh, I'm glad I did it. You know, I can cross it off my bucket list. 
Yeah. But, and you, you learned, you learned quite a bit yeah, from it, but it's not, as you mentioned, a nice experience. So these yeah. guys said about, they're like, Hey, let's make this a better experience. They, they were Uniswap users. So they're like, this works. We like the functionality, but let's make it better. So in August of 2020, they launch SushiSwap, which is essentially Uniswap, but with Sushi token added to it. And in order to get liquidity for it, they devised a vampire mining scheme. <laughs> that sounds awesome. And so the way this scheme worked is it was a way to drain liquidity from Uniswap and put it into SushiSwap. And what they did was they incentivized their users by saying, we will give you Sushi tokens if you bring us Uniswap tokens. So Uniswap's tokens, uh, they have their own proprietary token. And so when users brought the Uniswap tokens, they exchanged them for Sushi tokens. And then what the founders of SushiSwap did was they then went to Uniswap and bought different uh, cryptocurrencies using mm -hmm. Uniswap tokens and then put them in SushiSwap. So imagine you're, you're kind of like, going into someone's like stash and like taking their stuff and then putting them in your own stash. And you're like, look, now we have stuff. Yeah, that's, that's a very interesting scheme. It's pretty diabolical. At the same time, it's not that harmful to Uniswap. I mean, you're still, it is. I mean, you're taking liquidity out, but you're also buying their token, which raises its value. Uh, yeah, I guess you are siphoning. You're, you're not buying their token. So this is the, the thing is, you are trading people. Oh, right, right. Yes. Not US dollars or not Ethereum for that token. You're just trading this made up token called Sushi that, that at that time has no value, right? Because people are just speculating, thinking that it'll have value in the future. So it, it's a little shady. There's, I don't think it's illegal, um, but it's a little bit shady, a little nefarious. Well, how many people actually took advantage of that? I mean, is that where most of the liquidity came from? Because that's... That's, that's where most of the liquidity came from. Wow, so, so a lot of people were like, oh, all right, I'll take this yes. token, you know, token that I don't know nothing about. And just... Yeah, all right. What exactly. was the exchange rate? Were they giving them a pretty good exchange rate? I don't know. I don't know what the exchange rate was, but it apparently was a very good incentive for people to want to do yeah, that. Apparently. So, this isn't even where it gets, con th this isn't even the controversial portion of it. This is just like, oh, this is, this is as usual in, in the Web3 world. <laughs> here, comes, here comes the controversy. Chef Nami, who is like the leader of this whole thing, at one point shortly afterwards, sells all of his sushi and all of his Ethereum tokens. And so he sells them and uh, sold one sorry 17,971 ethereum which at the time was the equivalent of 14 million dollars but here's the best part he doesn't even sell his sushi and ethereum on sushi swap he sells it on uniswap <laughs> and obviously the community goes crazy they're like what they think that they've been rug pulled because like this person who is supposed to be building something is actually just dumping all of their Ethereum and Sushi that they have in the thing. And so the community is furious. He very quickly realizes like what he's done and he returns all of the Ethereum and apologizes and says, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to crash the entire Sushi swap system because people were you know, abandoning it, thinking yeah. that this was a big scam. So he issues an apology. He returns the Ethereum back into SushiSwap. And he says, I am going to step back as owner of SushiSwap because I don't want my name and what I did to ruin this thing that we're building. And that's great. So he steps away. And do you know who he passes SushiSwap on to? <laughs> um... Yeah, I don't know, maybe the founder of Uniswap or something. <laughs> Even better, the founder of FTX, ah. Sam Bankman-Fried. So he says, Sam Bankman-Fried, who's hugely respected in the crypto community, he's like, hey, here, take on SushiSwap, like govern it. You know how to build a exchange properly. 
please take this over. I, you know, I don't want it to sink just because of my stupid bonehead move. And so Sam Bankman Freed takes it over, does some stuff, establishes kind of, you know, some, some regulation, a little bit of stability, and then he passes it on back to the community. So it becomes a community driven platform afterwards. But that entire saga took place in like just less than a year, you know, like a few months. Well, you told me it was founded in 2020. I thought it was a lot older than that. No, no, it, it's recent. And in 20, it got founded in August of 2020. And all of this stuff happened like a few months after it was founded. So it was a roller coaster ride. I joined Sushi Swap after the roller coaster. So I did buy some sushi when it was really, really cheap because of all this controversy. And I was like, hey, maybe the controversy will play. Yeah. Maybe this will be big someday. Um, so that is the founding team story, which I thought was brilliant. That is awesome. And I think it's really smart to pass it off to someone who's got a respected name and who can basically w- wash their reputation through respectability and then put it back out there. And it's cool to give it back to the community. Yeah. Um, you know, th- th- things move fast in the crypto world. There's a whole Russian saga in less than one year. <laughs> and uh, that, that's amazing. Man. I-, I love the speed of this, uh, this economy, this market. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's very like soap opera-esque, you yeah. know, like, yeah. I, I mean, that, that says it. something about the founder that he wasn't being malicious, because not only did he give back the Ethereum, but he essentially gave up his baby, like he created SushiSwap, and then goes, I don't want this to die, because I made this mistake, like, here, please take it, keep, yeah. keep it going. And this guy, it wasn't doxxed. It's not like he's got to walk around the street, with people yelling at him and booing and, and like, yeah. you know, he's anonymous, he could have been like, ah, Forget you guys. Yeah, I started this thing. It's my ETH. Get off my back. I'm leaving. Yeah, he he could have been uh, a millionaire, and you know, but instead, still is, but... the right thing. He probably still is. Yeah. Let, let, let's be honest. He's got um, a few different wallets. Yeah. So so this is so that was the team story in terms mm-hmm. of advantages. So Sushi Swap actually developed a lot of stuff that a lot of other exchanges use now. So it added features including staking sushi getting loans and voting in a DAO, and all of these things today seem like oh yeah of course everybody does that but actually sushi swap was one of the first to offer all these features and uniswap actually copied these features mm-hmm. so it's kind of funny that like full yeah full circle because uniswap yeah. was the biggest and they weren't really innovating very quickly and so you have this underdog that ste- that doesn't steal that copies their code does some really cool innovation with it. And then Uniswap says, hey, we should add that innovation back like their code and run it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so that's kind of a fun little uh, advantage that they brought to the platform. Uh, un- the other advantage is Uniswap has venture capital funding, which means that that could be an advantage, but it also could be a disadvantage because there's incentives there to make money over building something uh, community-based. SushiSwap is entirely community driven. So they have a lot more independence than Uniswap. I'm probably going to switch to SushiSwap after this conversation. I love it. I love it. Yeah, you, uh, you turned me. The best advantage, honestly, that SushiSwap has is just user interface. Yeah. It is, I would equate it, it's pretty similar to Coinbase, where it's like, I have this token, I want to get this token. I click a big button that says swap. And it just does it, you know. I wish I'd have known about that. Have you ever used Uniswap? I have not. I, I looked at screenshots of it and I was like, oh God. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh man. I started like I started shaking and sweating every time I got on there to try to buy something. And I'm just like, it's ridiculous. And it, yeah. it's so confusing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So try out Sushi Swap. It's a very pleasant platform. And for oh, people out it. there who are listening to this and you are used to using Coinbase or FTX or Gemini or any of these centralized exchanges and you want to just dabble and see what decentralized exchanges are like, maybe to get a really rare token that you can't find on the mainstream platforms, SushiSwap is a really nice, easy one to get into. Yeah, you know, and I think you're making a really good point for people who want to get into this space. And I, and I hear more and more of these calls for people to get their money, their tokens off these off centralized exchanges. If it's not your keys, it's not your cheese is one of the, the sayings that I keep hearing. Is that the saying? It's something like that. 
So it has something to do with not your keys, not your money, because, you know, at the end of the day, it isn't, you know, and the one way to make sure that you're in complete control over your wallet is by having, by using decentralized exchanges, not to mention a lot of these projects give you reflections, which are like dividends that these large exchanges don't process and you don't even see those. So a lot of, yeah, like, um, for example, like I bought a bunch of Saitama, which, you know, it's been up and down, but they give reflections. Even if the price goes up, it goes down, you still get reflections. And so I, I see my wallet going up, even it goes up even more when the price is down. And so that those rules reflections you wouldn't get in a centralized exchange. Interesting. I wonder if sushi, I don't believe that I read anything about sushi swap giving reflections, but I can look more into it because yeah, maybe- well, it's not really, it wouldn't be sushi swap. It's just once you own that token in a, in a, a hot wallet, you end up getting that just from their, uh, their code, just from their, uh, what's oh, called? their, uh, I'm forgetting the name of it. It's their, their contract. Their oh, okay. contract has it built in. And so once you buy it and it's in your wallet, that contract kicks in their reflections. Mm. So once you take to it, once you get to an, a centralized exchange, they don't process those and they don't give them back to you. They, they keep them for themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of a hidden little... Yeah, they're banging you, man. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, so in terms of... So that is the advantage. In terms of community... So total value locked in SushiSwap is $3.7 billion. That's a lot of TVL. So a lot of value is locked in SushiSwap. A lot of people are using it. It has processed $214 billion worth of trans transactions. So that's B, B billion. Wow. And then it has 14,000 trading pairs, meaning different token combinations mm -hmm. that you can trade. The big one for me though, is this one thing, which is after all of that drama, the community has stuck around. Mm. So to me, that gives like a really strong signal of, it's not that people are here just because it's good times and things are getting better and better. They will go through even these huge controversial dips and stick around because the platform is so good and they believe in what it's doing. So to me, that's a really big one. Yeah. And then a, a last little fun fact here is they own sushi.com. If you type in sushi.com into your browser, you will go and see SushiSwap and all the stuff that it's about. I'm going to so. do that right now. Uh, but like, I like what you said about the community. You know, a lot of times for these projects, as soon as something bad happens, the community abandons it. Yeah, really quickly. And there's a lot of this, like this new shiny object over here type of mentality where, you know, it's always the next big thing. And then you're like, oh, this is great. And then something happens like, ah, forget that and you move on to the next one. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's warranted. There's a lot of bad projects out there. But I think, you know, when you see people sticking around through the good, the bad, the ups and the down, that's a sign of a strong community. And that's the kind of thing you want to put some money into. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yep. So that is community. And then last, we're going to go Go ahead, Brian. So how did they get sushi.com? I think they just bought it. They had to buy it. I wonder how much that cost. I, I'm sure it cost a lot of sushi. Yeah, I'm sure it did. They probably <laughs> bought it from the government of Japan or something. Uh, that's crazy. Good for them. Yeah, yeah right. it's pretty cool. So if you guys want any more info about SushiSwap, it's literally sushi.com is the URL if you want to research it a little bit more. Uh, and then lastly, I'm going to jump into tokenomics. So $420 million market cap which puts it at a market rank of 142. Hmm. That's a less, seems like a low market cap. They must have a lot of uh, sushi out there. Yeah. Uh, total value locked is 3.7 billion, like we talked about. Uh, circulating supply is 127 million. Total supply, this is of the sushi token. Uh, total supply is 241 million. And the max supply is 250 million. So they're almost at max supply. I'm surprised they have such a low market cap. Yeah. They have a low circulating uh, supply. It's because uh, the, the thing is that the TVL includes all of the different cryptocurrencies that are locked in there yeah. versus these tokenomics I'm giving you are just for the sushi token. Yeah, it still seems low. I mean, if you think about all the transactions, all the community and everything, I guess 
Yeah, I think it's on par. If you look at FTX, uh -huh. at the token FTT, which is FTX's token, it also isn't like, you know, hugely subscribed to uh, because the amount of benefits you get from it are pretty minimal. Sushi, in terms of the token, doesn't give you like enormous perks, mm -hmm. you know? So it's not so much about investing in Sushi. I think maybe it would be like a decent investment but to me it's more important sushi swap the actual right platform and also you gotta think about too if, if you have a lot of uh trading pairs within a platform that means you don't have to use that native token to buy and trade and so that's probably another reason why there's not a whole lot of yeah uh, a higher price so that makes sense yeah so i bring this yeah, I, I bring this token to everybody, not so much because the token is like, this is going to moon, it's going to 100x. But I bring it because I think the platform is super, super interesting. Mm -hmm. It could be super useful to people. And then the sushi token is kind of a byproduct of that could be useful in the future as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. No, that's, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm can't wait to try them. Awesome. Yeah, good stuff, man. Good stuff. All right, guys. So that is it for this week. Again, if you guys have any questions about this episode or any of the things that we covered here, remember that you can always write to us at questions at cryptosafari.us. And now I feel like we should go and order some sushi, Brian. I'm getting hungry. I want the whole the whole yomakasi or omakasi experience. <laughs> I want a cold asahi, extra dry. Let's get some uh, bento boxes and, uh, you know, really splurge on ourselves. Ooh, I'm going to get some fatty, fatty tuna. Oh, yeah. Fatty tuna, skinny tuna, all the tuna. <laughs> Come by, everybody. Thanks for listening.